this is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Jean-Claude Piris. Jean-Claude Piris ran the legal service of the Council of Ministers of the EU for over 20 years, and in that role had a leading uh, part to play in drafting all the treaties that now govern the European Union. So nobody knows more about treaties and treaty change and treaty uh, abilities than Jean-Claude Piris. So Jean-Claude, uh, from your point of view, to the extent we know what the British government wants to try to achieve in their negotiation with, with Brussels, uh, do you think it will be successful, this negotiation? I think yes. At the end, it will be successful because uh, nobody's crazy and it's uh, both the interest of the United Kingdom and of the European Union, of its uh, other member states, that the UK stays as a full member and uh, acting uh, with uh, a lot of influence in the EU. Okay, but to the extent we know what the, the government in Britain actually wants, they have yet, as you know, to formally put on the table the, the negotiating points, but we have a, an idea from a couple of speeches by the British Prime Minister, by an article by the British Foreign Minister, uh, what the kind of things they want to achieve. Um, how many of these things do you think are, are UK-specific and how many are actually uh, relevant to most, if not all, members of the European Union? Yeah, first of all, you know, uh, even the authorities of the UK did not uh, know exactly what they wanted because all this started with uh, internal politics as usual. And uh, uh, there was a big problem uh, for the Tories before the last uh, elections and the UKIP was uh, winning uh, ground and so on. And so they decided that as there was a kind of malaise in the public opinion on the EU affairs to put uh, EU affairs in the first range. And then they had to find what are the exact subjects which could be uh, useful in that uh, kind of point of view. Well, in that, in that context, therefore, what are the things that we think the British government will be asking Brussels to accept as, as part of a negotiation that you think will cause the most difficulty with its European partners? Yeah, if uh, I may, I would say that uh, they begin with some ideas and, uh, of course, after months and months of uh, talking and after the elections in the House of Commons, their ideas have uh, been uh, changing quite a bit because in the beginning, what the point of departure was that Cameron and a lot of other people, including myself, by the way, thought that in order to uh, get rid of the Eurozone crisis, there was only one solution to change the treaties in order to strengthen the integration of the Eurozone. And if you take that basis, of course, uh, the UK will have to accept this change of the treaties in uh, asked, uh, requested by the Eurozone. And at the same time, they would ask something in exchange to change for the UK uh, or in the UK's interest in the treaties. That was the first idea. Unfortunately, this first idea is out because the Eurozone uh, uh, decided that it was not uh, possible to pass a change of the treaties to do the, that uh, with the state of the public opinion in their countries. Okay. So that was out. And then there was a second idea. The second idea was that, oh, we will uh, look uh, very carefully about the the balance of powers, the share of powers between the EU and the member states. And of course, we have uh, the, the feeling that there has been too much powers given to the European Union institutions and that we could go back. It was the idea so-called of repatriation of powers. 
But this idea also died because the UK government decided wisely to have a, a very thorough studies by independent organs, by their own ministerial departments on the share of powers. And the result was a report of 3,000 pages, which demonstrated by finally, that finally the share of powers was quite appropriate. Because this idea was also abandoned. So is it fair to say that to a large extent, to the extent that we know what the British government may want from this negotiation, that many of their so-called demands are things which the, the EU as a whole needs to do. It needs to be more uh, focused on priorities, on, on deepening the single market, on developing free trade, etc., etc. So these aren't particularly UK-centric demands. Yeah, that's right. There, there are still some ideas in London about some things which could be done for the UK alone. Right. I think they are not completely dead. They are not doable, I think, because uh, to say that uh, the UK will not be uh, obliged to follow the social rules or this or that rules is not something that uh, or uh, uh, derogation for uh, freedom of movement of persons this this is not the kind of uh, thing which will work I think and there, there was another idea also that uh, the UK could have a, a special status as a member a full member of the internal market but not on the other things. All this specific to the UK, and you find that in the UK newspaper, it's called a renegotiation of the status of the UK, I think are not uh, possible to do uh, politically. So it goes back to what you exactly said. Let's find something which is useful and can be done for everybody in the, U in the EU, or maybe on specific members to know uh, uh, that is to mean the, the, the non-Eurozone members. But since you did mention the free movement of, of people, that is a, a key concern, isn't it? Because the debate is already confused in the sense that on the one hand, we're talking about free movement of people across Europe, which is obviously one of the key uh, guiding principles of the European Union. But as people say, even, even outside the UK, that does not mean uh, access to, to benefits, social benefits necessarily. And on the other hand, there's what's called in-work benefits, where there's an, issue, there's an issue potentially the UK could be accused of discriminating against other EU member states. Yeah, now that's one of the key points now that's uh, sure you, you, you make reference to, you made reference to different uh, speeches have been made so on. It's very, uh, now we know that there are big, uh, four or five subjects which will come in. The first one is the freedom of uh, movement of persons and the social benefits and so on. The second one is the protection to be given or not to the non-Eurozone because the uh, Eurozone now has uh, uh, the power to decide on many things inside the EU and uh, there's a fear that they will decide things which are not uh, uh, in line with the interest on the non-Euro members of the EU. That's the two most difficult subjects and, uh, which are, are going very difficult to, to solve. There are a number of other subjects which have been raised by uh, Mr. Cameron in particular, uh, that is the ever closer union, mm. that is the powers of national parliaments, that is the, the, the possibility to drive the EU to a more competitive uh, economy, to open its borders to, to trade agreements, to have uh, less uh, red tape and uh, more efficient institutions and so on. All these questions will be also probably in a package which will be needed by the UK, but they will be 
more easy to, to find, I think. So there are three subjects. One, which is national parliaments, more powers or not, protection of non-Eurozone members, and what you said about the freedom of uh, EU workers to come to the UK and to enjoy the same benefits as the uh, British workers. Okay. The, the government seems, in Britain at least, to be very concerned, at least maybe for domestic consumption, uh, to demonstrate that any, any uh, concessions, if you like to call them concessions, they extract from their European partners are codified and embedded in a new treaty, a revised treaty, uh, which would be there and for all to see before any referendum might take place in the United Kingdom. Is, is that feasible in your book, given you are the expert on, on treaties and treaty changes? To what extent are, first of all, are any of these changes required to be uh, recorded in a treaty revision? Point one and point two, could the treaty revision be, be uh, affected sometime between now and the referendum in the United Kingdom? Well, I think first that is an illusion and I think that is not necessary. Frankly speaking, there are things which can be done without changing the treaties and uh, with a strong political will. And uh, if the member states want to do something, they do something. And on this different subject, that is the, the, the way, because frankly speaking, first, the calendar will not, of course, allow to have uh, treaty change adopted before a referendum takes place in the, in the United Kingdom. That's totally uh, out of uh, the possibilities, out of reality. So, uh, you will have promises, political promises, to change the treaty or not, uh, if you want the change of the treaty. But promises on that cannot be taken. Uh, they, 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 they are just promises for the next government or the next... Uh, so, uh, I think it's the wrong way to follow. What you should follow, what the government of the UK, not you personally, <laughs> is uh, that we decide now something and we implement it now. Political decisions, practical measures and so on and so forth. For example, if you want to, to change a policy in a way which is useful for the UK economy, one thing which would be very useful is to have more internal market on services. Right. Because that's one of the key points in the British economy, in its uh, exports and so on and so forth. And, as you know, the, 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 the internal market on services is not well advanced. So, if there was a, a political decision to, to get a calendar, to have the agreement of the Commission and the Parliament and the European Council on that, that could be very useful and maybe with some precisions on that. That's the kind of thing which uh, don't need a, a change of the treaties. Okay. On red tape, on more efficiency of the Commission, look at what uh, the Juncker Commission has done. They have done quite a lot in order to uh, cut red tape and to have more control on the, on the proposal of legislation made by the Commission. And you should know that, uh, you know that, the, the, of course, the proposal of the Commission are nothing, they, they are not uh, supported by the the members of the Council. So if the members of the Council would take care at the central level in their capital that everything is checked, that it's not uh, done only by agriculture ministers on mm -hmm. the legislation about agriculture, but checked by other uh, departments and so on, that could be a lot of progress as well. Okay. Jean-Claude thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much.